So we get, a, we get a picture, and certainly that narrative right there had some of the details, the very intimate instructions which God gave to Noah. Um, maybe the rainbow. I know this past week we had a good, pretty good storm day, and I missed it, but I had a few folks in the office. I worked downtown saying, oh, man, did you see that rainbow? And, and I think that's the kind of stuff that, that for better or for worse, um, that we take out of this narrative with, with Noah. There, there's a lot more here, though, folks. And so let's take, take some specific um, looks at some of the text here. In particular, I'm going to start with Genesis chapter 6, verses um, 5 through 8. So we can read through this here real quick and start making some of these observations. So we're told that the Lord... <laughs> The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they brought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. I'm not sure about you, but that's a pretty big statement. I mean, we're not that far from, from Adam and Eve and, and the fall and Cain and Abel, but it, it starts to paint a picture, a very specific picture about what the impact of sin is on God's creation. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the peoples, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them, but Noah found favor with the Lord. Already very quickly we can find an aspect of this, that this sin that we saw specifically in Adam and Eve and what it did with their, their father, their creator, we see that sin's impact is far greater than just one person or one relationship. In fact, all creation is subject to the destruction of sin. What God said there in this text, that by what he saw of what man had become, not only did he have issue or a broken relationship with those people, the generations had a, have come after Adam and Eve, but in fact, he talked about every living creature, that he was going to destroy them. He's not talking about someone did something bad. Let's, let me make an example. God says, I am going to destroy all of it. All of it. With the exception of Noah. Noah and his family, his three sons, found favor with God. But first, from the very beginning here, we can see that in this episode, the impact of sin is complete and utter destruction for everything, even creation itself. So let's move on through, then we heard some of the details in the video, but let's move on through quickly, I guess, into Genesis chapter 9. Because this now, we have the episode and what we heard about the flood comes and everything that happens, and we start to see exactly what's occurring within God's creation. So we're told in Genesis chapter 9 that God says, after the flood, God goes to Noah and his sons. He says, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants, and with all the animals that were with you on the boat, the birds, the livestock, and the wild animals, every living creature on earth, Yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. Now, I trust the story itself is fairly understandable to each of us, meaning that we've kind of heard what happens, right? That we have this destruction that God is going to bring this flood, which destroys all. And not just kind of covers like, you know, Harvey. 
I mean, this covers the world. It destroys everything. And yet, on the back side of this, we have this statement about God's covenant, about God confirming his covenant with Noah and his family. And just like the curse affects all things, so too is God's redemption bigger than just you and me. And this has been true from the beginning, meaning that God's story of redemption is bigger than any one situation, any one decision we make. It's bigger and it affects all of creation. This has been the case from the very beginning. Now, I know it's easy for us to kind of discount the Old Testament and think about, ah, what, what point does that have in my life? But there are a few pretty substantial things that happen in the, in the historical narrative of God's salvation. So we can go through, we talk about the law and the prophets, we talk about the history, we talk about everything in the Old Testament. And I got to tell you, as I look at what happens in the Old Testament, this aspect of how God, he, he acts, he, he meets out, he displays his those who are that are for him and those who are against him, he displays it in real human history, right? That's part of what we're going to see this year is that these episodes that we go through, and we're going to see already with Adam and Eve and here with Noah and Isaac, is that God is clearly in the activities of human history demonstrating what he is about, who is for him and who is against him. And, and we have to admit that Hearing what we heard already from this Noah episode, that God was going to destroy all things, there is something that feels and looks inconsistent with Jesus, the, the God of the New Testament. His expression, we just came through Christmas and, and the incarnation and this, this idea that God is love, which is true, but how do we reconcile, how do we fit that together with what we see in the Old Testament? There's a lot of Christians, a lot of well-intended Christians that don't know how to do that. That you look at what Jesus does in the New Testament and his sacrifice and his, his model of love and care for people in need. And you look at this God of the Old Testament that destroys every living creature. Except for Noah, his three sons, all of their wives, and then the creatures that God chooses to take and bless and become part of his salvation history. How do we reconcile those two? Well, uh, let me tell you the end of the story right now. There's, there's no good way to do it. <laughs> I'm not going to have anything smart to say today because the bottom line is from our perspective, from our human, broken, sin-impacted perspective, there is no good way to do it. But what we have been given is we've been given a scriptural history. Right? See, we know because through the author, Moses, through the author of the first five books of the Bible, of Genesis, we know where God is acting. We know when he is for people and against people. We have the exact words from God. He's talking about it. He's, he's telling us what happened and why. And who was he with or who was he against? We have, if you will, the, the director's notes. Right? We know exactly what's going on. And that's why we celebrate it. We don't have that today. I mean, I struggle looking around in my life to figure out where God is active and where God is not active. I see sin in my own life all the time. I see lives that are being broken and destroyed or, or just bad situations. And where is God in the midst of it? 
is this the way it's supposed to be or not? I mean, it just, let's just be honest, it raises more questions than answers for me. And I suspect you're probably like me as well. And that's why we cherish, we hold tight to these, not just stories, but these, these really define our family. The Christian family for centuries have been defined and sat around in a group like we are today and talked and we learned the, the, the older, more mature in the faith would instruct the younger in the faith and they'd tell them the stories because this gave meaning to their life and who they were as believers, as followers of God, as, as we talk about today, as followers of Christ. Because this really defined what the family was about, what God's family is. And so, and so again, within the, in this context of Moses, with Noah, we have this amazing story of what's happening with destruction of all things. But even in the midst of that, we have the salvation of Noah and his family, which then carries on. And this isn't just an Old Testament thing, because I think one of the points that we've already made is that this judgment was not just on those who were sinning against God, people, but in fact it affected all creation. And so too was the covenant that God affirmed with Noah for all creation, all things. And in fact, Paul talks this way. If we go to Romans chapter 8, maybe these are familiar words to you, but in, in Romans chapter 8, Paul talks this way. He says, yet we suffer no what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. This wasn't just an Old Testament sort of thing, folks. Paul is holding on to this. See, See, we, we have this, this idea today because let's admit it, life is pretty good most days, right? I mean, we, we sit in here, we complain about, oh, the heater's not working. Oh, we're, but, you know, if you knew, I, I checked with a few folks to see if it was working before I came to figure out how many layers to put on, right? But we have those layers. We might be a little uncomfortable this morning. Oh, goodness. You know, some, glo some gloves might have been nice, but, but life's pretty darn good. And so that turn, what we turn sin into is we turn sin into, oh, darn it, I did it again. I raised my voice at my wife. Like it's these decisions that we make. That's really the, the nature of sin. It, it's not. Sure, that's a symptom of it, but it is so far involved and in, enmeshed in our very being. And not just me from when I was in my mother's womb but creation itself. And so Paul talks about this hope that, that not just Christians, not just those who are struggling against persecution, those who have, who have difficult lives are saying, oh, oh God, send Christ return soon. Please, please care for me. No, creation itself, Paul tells us, is waiting for the children of God to be revealed. What this is talking is about the future resurrection. See, we look forward to the resurrection. We look forward to the resurrection, not just you and me, but creation itself. That is how, two aspects of this, how substantial what sin does to us is, but how amazing the hope we have in Christ is. See, we had a glimpse of this when we talked about the creation narrative in Genesis 1 and 2. Why did, 
why did God give us that? Why, did, why was that given to us through Moses and the writing? Because, because that's the best. I mean, we have a view of what creation was intended to be. With Adam and Eve and, and working the land there in perfect communion and fellowship with their, their creator, their father, walking in his midst, in his presence. I, I couldn't imagine it. But it was a, a relationship where there wasn't this like, ah, oh, we can't be in your presence, God. It was like, thanks for hanging out with us, Father. We have this glimpse of it, right? And this, this is the kind of substantial, all new, renewed, made new again sort of hope we have in the resurrection. It isn't about us trying to get away from here because this is so bad. It's, it's a renewal. It is creation itself being restored and renewed the way God intended it. It is a resurrection of the bodies. It is the casting away of sin, death, and the devil for eternity. Our lives and our bodies being restored in a way so that we can be in fellowship with God and his creation for eternity. It's not just trying to get away from a bad day that we have once in a while. Or like somehow we're going to make better decisions. I mean, this is so completely new that we struggle to even get a glimpse of it. And it is not just about you and me, but it is about creation itself. This is how substantial the working of God is and his desire. So I make fun of, well, I mean, I kind of made fun, I guess, this morning about, you know, the felt board stories and we, what do we get out of Noah? We get, you know, Noah, we get the ark, we get two by two, right? Two by two, and then we get a rainbow. All good stuff. I'm not saying it's bad, but that's what we take away from it. So if you've checked out, check back in right now. In Noah, we see two really compelling things. One how destructive sin is. Sin is so destructive that God himself wants to destroy his creation because of how offensive it is to him. And not just the people that are making bad choices, but the animals, creation itself is under the burden of sin. But the restoration is so amazingly awesome from our God that, that Paul in the New Testament talks about this hope that is ours in the resurrection, that we on this side of the cross of Christ have a view of what the fulfillment is. And that's what our hope is. And that hope has been consistent for century upon century until Christ returns. And that hope is not just, again, for you and me, but it is for creation itself, all right? Did we learn something new about Noah today? You can nod your head yes or shake your head no. I'll, I'll take the no also if you're checked out. It's okay. There's something else going on here, though, I think, that we can try to, to draw out, right? I mean, I, I love le learning these stories, and, and I, I would encourage you with those with kids, talk about it, you know. Go back and look at this from Genesis 6, 7, 8, 9. You know, maybe read a little bit and, and show them and just kind of, you know, use that when it comes up. But there's something else going on here. I, I, I tried to couch this within, within the phrase of comparing wisdom and foolishness. Wisdom and foolishness. So let me start with, let's go back to the episode of Noah. I, could you believe, I mean, there's been some, there was a Steve Carell movie, right, where he wasn't, didn't he build an ark or something? A few years back, a comedy? God, that no, wasn't God, what was it? 
Evan Almighty, yeah, yeah. I, I found it pretty entertaining. But part of within that movie was that when he starts to do this stuff, people think he's absolutely off his rocker nuts, right? So could you imagine, and even back in the day before video cameras and, you know, texting and all kinds of stuff and news cameras to show how crazy somebody is, probably a pretty small group of folks still back in Noah's day. And when he starts to build this ark, <laughs> what would they have thought? Right, and so Noah, though, he's, he's the one that found favor with God, right? Because of his relationship, his worship of God. And so God chose he and his three sons to be the one that salvation history had moved through. And so for a while there, I'm sure Noah looked like an absolute nut for what he was doing. And then we're told in the scriptures that God closes the door once Noah's done everything he does. Because I can only imagine when the rain started, there would have been a lot of people screaming and asking for help. And no doubt Noah would have probably would have been in a position. He would have wanted to reach out and, and help save, I'm sure, because he would have known those folks. But as this, this narrative moves through, I mean, think about what's happening is that quickly it turns into two views of the exact same event, right? If, if you're Noah and his sons and wives and you're on the, the ship, you have this view of, wow, <laughs> I know what God told us to do and I know we did it, but I, I don't know. And here it is happening, right? It's actually happening. And, and where are they? They're in, a, in an ark and they're, they're ready. They've got food. They're, they're ready for a long time. They, they were expecting this and here it comes. And if, if you weren't in the ark and you're everyone else, I, I mean, I don't know how to describe it, but two views of the exact same. Wh which one is wisdom? Which one is foolishness? Well, I don't know. I haven't said yet, right? Two different views of the exact same event. At some point, that water becomes the demarcation. The flood becomes the demarcation. You have with Noah and his family, an ark that is floating on the water, and they are being saved by God. And you have people and animals and plants and everything that is being destroyed by the exact same water that is saving Noah. Two views of the exact same event. Well, I think uh, Paul's a good one to lean on here. I'm going to read a bit more. Um, here from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it is nonsense. In those days, in Paul's day, the Jews and the Gentiles covered everyone. So basically Paul is saying everyone, right, between the Jew and the Gentile. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it is all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. 
This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. I think we start to get a view of wisdom and foolishness in light of this. We start to take a look at, in the case here of Noah, which, let's be clear, back at that time, obviously Christ had not come yet. Back at that time, Christ had not come yet. That's right, my voice is typically loud enough. I talk over most things, so I'm sure that most people can still hear us. Though, again, here, an interruption, right? <laughs> Foolishness and wisdom, when you look at it, there is a demarcation again within these events. And though back in Noah's day, they didn't have this understanding of what God's fulfillment would be in Christ of the salvation, there was still a demarcation. There was faithful and those that were rebellious. In the same event, what was wise to the world was foolish to Noah, and what was wise to Noah was foolish to the world, and we saw how it worked out. But as Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. That is our message. And that defines for us as Christians wisdom and foolishness. Paul was looking back as he wrote in 1 Corinthians, addressing the church at Corinth, but talking about Christ. Think about that narrative. You can pick a gospel. Think about that narrative, though, as Christ goes forward, as he is being, well, being prosecuted, being challenged, saying nothing. Eventually, he ends up upon the cross. And, and those who were doubting say, come on, come on. If you, if you are who you claim to be all these years, save yourself. Show us how great you are if you're supposed to be the son of God. And the amazing thing is that simply by not saving himself, he saves the world. Again, an event, a situation that there are two sides of looking at it. Those who are foolish by the world's perspective, but yet wise in God, look at it, and here is the Savior of the world, the Son of God taking the punishment that we could not take ourselves. Those who are wise by the world's standards, but foolish by God's who hear what and think about all the things that Jesus has said and probably his followers as well. Come on, come on, save yourself. Because that's what someone powerful by world standards would do. Come on, get yourself down off that cross. That's what someone who says that they have come to save people would demonstrate. That's what the mighty do in this world. That's what the strong, that's what they do. They demonstrate it for all to see. But precisely at that point, by Christ not saving himself, he saves the world. See, this is the kind of stuff that informs us, folks. And, and whether we go back, and we're going to take several weeks here of working through and talking about um, God's story of salvation and how this works out, I, I want us, I want us to think about, and, and maybe were you 
maybe you spend the weeks, the Monday through Friday. I mean, Jason and I talked about it. Well, he made a comment about his MC this past Friday about hanging out and having some great fellowship. And, and those invitations, those kinds of relationships are really, really amazing to sit and be there with people. But there's also an aspect of our faith. There's a challenge that happens too, right? I, I don't think we can look back at Noah and think that, that, how do I say this? Think that God is all love in a way that there is no responsibility. I don't think we can look at the faith and say that God is all love in some way that there's no responsibility. God held those accountable in Noah's time for those who were rebellious. God held Christ accountable for all sins for all time. So we could say that that God, if you will, he killed his son for you. So that we can talk about grace and mercy and freely talk about our sinfulness in the face of God because the price has been paid fully. Okay, we're getting a little, a little meaty here, aren't we? A little heady, a little too theological at times. No? Are you okay with that, Howard? Okay, that's good. I, I have to admit, I'm one of these guys, I like kind of the mind candy and thinking theology and talking through this stuff, but if we don't put it into practice, what's the benefit of it? So let's go back and think about your week last week. We talked about the MC or, or where you were at work or... I got to tell you, I've got coworkers right now, um, my wife, my kids, and I look around. I mean, this doesn't mean that I've got to figure it out. Don't hear that. But just look around, and gosh, it's challenging. You know, dealing with aging parents, and, and what do you do when you're, when you're facing with a dementia diagnosis so you can try to get your, your mom into a home that shows she can be cared for away from where she is with her son? Think about our physical challenges. Think about financial struggles. Think about those that are being faced with some really big challenges in the weather right now across our country. Think about Christians who are persecuted in other parts of the world that are being killed for the very things that they believe to be true. Maybe your marriage is in this room. Relationships with your siblings, your parents. There are a lot of broken relationships. We see it everywhere. And I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. In the scriptures, we know what God is doing. We see it. We see where he is for someone and when he is against someone. We see what the impact is of sin and its rebellion. But those scriptures, those, those stories about what Christ and the church was doing, even as we roll all the way through the New Testament of Acts and Romans and all, the, all of Paul's letters to the churches, and we've got Peter's letter, and we've got Hebrews, and and even Revelation, the story to look forward to what's coming, you know what? Those were written hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So what have we done for the last 2,000 years about figuring out where God is active, where God is working, where God is for us and against us? It is so hard to see. And we might not ever see it, to be fair. In the situations of life, we might question, we might pray for God to be present, but we might not ever see it. Not 100%, I guarantee you that. Not 100%. We might know and, and 
God is, I mean, I know I'm growing in faith, I'm reading the scriptures, and I know that the Lord has just put this on my heart. I need to go talk to my neighbor or, or that person at work that is struggling. I just need to sit and pray with them. I know I should do that. And we do it, and that's great. Even with that, there's probably that room for doubt. Is that really what I should do or not? That doesn't mean don't go and be bold about it. It means just go after it. Get it. It's a great thing. But we can admit that we don't know fully all the time. And so be it. That's God's plan. That's the timing where we find ourselves. But that does not cause us to want to leave. That does not, it should not, think that we aren't well prepared to be there. This, this situation, and we've talked about this over the weeks, about being present with people, about staying and being engaged. Christians, those who know the Lord, have a unique opportunity there because we can be comfortable. We can sit there because we know in every situation there are two sides to it. And who knows where we go into a situation with the hope that is ours in Christ, the hope that we have for the resurrection for the world to come, the hope that we have and the, and the, the relationship and the conversation and community we have with, with fellow believers and prayer with the Lord. We go into a situation, who knows which one of those situations flip? Who knows when we're talking with someone that is in a world of hurt. I mean a literal world of hurt. We come alongside them and that's the situation that flips. We walk into them with the presence, with the Spirit of God, with Christ with us and we sit down with them that that's the one that flips. Sometimes it's dramatic. Sometimes people are so broken they've just been waiting for the word of Christ. Sometimes it's more subtle. Sometimes we need to spend time with people and pray and, and meet their re very real physical needs. Sometimes they end up giving us a word back. <laughs> we might have gone into it thinking, oh man, they're in a bad place, but, but you start to talk to them and they say, you know what? The Lord's on my side, I understand. Now, I'm not talking about some silver lining, right? Hear me clearly. I'm not saying we go into somebody's situation and say, hey, I know it's tough, but something good's going to come out of this. Let me say that again. That doesn't mean we go in to sit with someone that's in a difficult situation and say, hey, don't worry, something good's going to come out of this. I've done that. I'll admit it. With some dear friends of mine when I was younger in the faith and Happened to stay, be staying at their house the night that she, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. This is probably 2000 or so, the year 2000. And um, that's what I said because I didn't know what to say. You know, you, you hear that on commercials and, you know, someone, people, want, people want something to hold on to. And I get it. And it's a natural response for us to say, something good is to come out of this. Don't go there. Just be with them. Reasons why I say that is because I don't know what the Lord is going to bring out of any situation. And we don't have to divert away from the hope that is ours in Christ. Does God give you the answers in every situation? No. What does he give you? He gives you his son hanging on a cross that says, I know what you're going through, 
I love you, I am with you for eternity, you are mine. There is nothing you can do to separate you from my love. He might take you out of the difficult situation, but he might not. That doesn't mean that God loves you any more or any less. That Christ died any more or any less for you. Christ died for you once and for all. We cannot always discern the things of God. But we can be comfortable being in difficult and challenging situations with people and remind them that the Lord is on their side. See, I, I, think, I think that going back to how you know, easy life is here in the U.S., that we tend to kind of explain stuff away. We'd rather do it that way than, you know, if, if, if your life is just destroyed and you're living in, in uh, where I've seen in the dump, uh, across the street from the dump in Guatemala City, you know, you're just trying to stay alive every day. There's no explaining that away. That's your real condition. You really wonder every day if God is for you or against you. I don't really wonder if God's for me or against me every day. You know, life's pretty darn good. Let's be honest. I'm not confronted with those kind of physical realities, and I would su suspect that most of us are in that same boat here. But sin is real. Sin pervades everything that we are and that we do and the world that we find ourselves in. And Christ has broken into it. And we have this freedom to be present, to be with people, to share the word of Christ. And sometimes it's not saying anything, it's just being there. Sometimes it is sharing our own struggles and brokenness, admitting our sins. Sometimes it's praying with them. Whatever it is, that's the opportunity we have as God's people. And so I think as we go through this year, as we go through 2018 and we start to hear the family stories, I hope this becomes part of our conversation. I hope we start growing in our comfort to be in difficult, uneasy situations and be God's presence there. Because God has given us something that we, we take with us all the time. And this is the rest of this where, where Paul talks about the... Um, the foolishness of those of the world and what they view God. Well, he parts with one kind of final uh, verse here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. And this is the hope that we have. Paul says, God has united, God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he has freed us from sin. See, the wisdom we take into the world, the presence we take into the world, is Christ himself. You and I are pure and holy, and in Christ we are free from sin. It's an amazing, amazing statement. It's an amazing place that we can be, that we can come into situations knowing and admitting our sinfulness, but also holding fully on to the fact that you are pure and holy, free from sin in Christ. Amen? Oh, come on. Amen? Amen? Amen. Will you pray with me? Gracious Father, we, um, we thank you for this time. We thank you that thousands of years later, Father, we can come and hear stories about how you worked in your creation of, of Noah and his family and how there was always, there is always a faithful remnant, Father, which you have have provided. We thank you, Father, that you don't turn our, your head on our sin, that you don't turn away from this world your good creation. We thank you that 
you continue to nourish us in faith through the gifts of faith, through, through relationships, through uh, baptism, the Lord's Supper, through your word. We thank you, Father, that we, we can be present in our lives. And, and Father, we pray that you would help us, help us to, to come in, into the, the places we find ourselves, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our families, and be present. Be willing to be Christ's presence in that place. Father, help us also to, to be willing to, to just sit, to be with people, to, to recognize that in Christ there is always an opportunity for fullness and life and life eternal. And for some reason, Father, you choose to, to put us in these places. You choose to use us according to your needs and, and, and really your ministry, Father. So we thank you for that. Father, we, uh, we just going to spend some time in prayer with you this, this day, Father. Watch over us uh, as we depart from this place. Keep us safe and warm and, and send us in a place so we can share your word. Father, we thank you for all that we have. It's in Christ's name that we pray. We pray. Amen. <laughs>